0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and today our topic is the role of community foundations and and the uh, good work that they do in south-central Indiana. With me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have three guests with us today, Uh, Heritage Foundation President Sherry Stark from Columbus, Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County President Sherry Woodbury, and Wabash Valley Community Foundation Executive Director Beth Tevlin from Terre Haute. We're pre-recording this program uh, for playing here today, January 2nd, the first day of the the new year. So you can't phone us, but uh, we hope you'll stick with us and you can uh, talk to the radio and and make your comments to yourselves if you want. Or you can go to the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can uh, write in comments that we'll get and our panelists, we can forward them on to our panelists if you want. So thank you all for being here. The Heritage Fund is the correct name of the the foundation in, in uh, Columbus. So it's the it's the foundation of Columbus and Bartholomew County, essentially, right?
1: The full title is Heritage Fund, the Community Foundation of Bartholomew County.
0: Okay, all right. Thank you very much for clearing that up for me. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about um, about the role of a community foundation, and, and Sherry, Sherry Stark, we'll start with you. Um, what, is, what exactly is a community foundation? and what, what is its role? What is its purpose compared to other um, organizations in your community?
1: Well, I'd be glad to give a few characteristics and then see if my friends here would like to add in. A community foundation represents a defined geographic area, And in Indiana, uh, we're distinct that each community foundation represents a county. It is a collection of diverse interests and diverse funds uh, principally focused on serving uh, for quality of life issues and making life
2: better within a county. Mm -hmm.
3: So while we have 92 counties, do we have 92
2: foundations, community foundations? I believe there are 70-some foundations. There are some that are uh, kind of together in a, a region
4: Okay. Ours is one of those. We serve three counties, Clay, Sullivan, and Vigo County.
3: Okay. okay. And I understand that Indiana is kind of uniquely positioned in that we have more community foundations than any other state. Could you talk about the genesis of that?
1: Well, that began, I would say, in the late 80s, early 90s mm-hmm. uh, through what is called the GIFT program, uh, Giving Indiana Funds for Tomorrow, the acronym GIFT, Lilly Endowment Worked with some of the existing community foundations on the concept of helping uh, get resources into every part of the state, and doing it through community foundations.
3: And Sherry, I was around Bloomington. I think when when our community foundation. Um, was founded, and it was kind of a new concept, it seemed. It was really, I remember it was a topic mm-hmm. of a great deal of discussion. Do you have any historical information you want to add about that? Yeah,
2: I think we're fairly unique in that um, the city of Bloomington played a, a leading role in helping us get started. Mayor Allison um, and Ilkner Ralston, uh, your predecessor at Leadership Bloomington, was mm-hmm. our founding board chair for several years, um, and uh, so, yeah, we were very fortunate that we had community leaders all through the years who have really believed in this concept. I think one of the things that's taken a while for people to kind of get their minds around is the idea of permanency when we talk mm-hmm. about endowments. You know, well, what do you mean when you say community foundation? You are talking about investing all of the gifts that we receive and using a portion of the earnings to grant back each year, and that means that that corpus there is in forever. Um, so that's where we get our, our little motto from, for good forever. So
3: do the three of you spend a lot of your time or – a fairly high percentage at least of your time, just educating your communities about what a community foundation is?
4: There's a lot of community education that goes on both in talking with people and print and our print and uh, materials that we end up providing. A lot of what we find in one of my board's biggest frustrations is they say, you know, we talk to people about the community foundation and they don't know what we are. Uh, You know, we do a fairly heavy promotion of what the foundation is, but people don't know about us until they have a need to know about us, whether it's in their child applying for scholarships, their nonprofit organization applying for grants, or perhaps someone in their family or a friend has died and they make a memorial gift to the community foundation. Mm
0: -hmm. I've heard this. uh, I've heard community foundations described as the savings account for the community versus United Way might be a checking account. Could you sort of uh, respond to that?
1: Well, that certainly is a way people describe it because uh, unlike most agencies, our focus is more on friend-raising and long-term gifts such as plan-giving through estates and major gifts, whereas uh, United Way and many other agencies are asking for annual campaign fund drives.
0: hmm Okay. You're listening to Noon Edition, and this is a pre-recorded program, so you can't uh, join us by phone today. But our, our guests are Heritage Fund President Sherry Stark, Wabash Valley Community Foundation Executive Director Beth Tevlin, and Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County President Sherry Woodbury. We're talking about community foundations, and, and I suppose it's appropriate that we are starting the new year talking about uh, – a good organization in the community, one who is going to be providing for groups and organizations all year round because we spend so much of our time in the last part of the year talking about fundraising and talking about how people should give and beat the tax deadline and all that. But really the uh, the need for um, – Funding for different groups, organizations is steady year-round. It's not just around the holidays. So I'm really happy that we have all three of you in here today. Um, could you talk a little bit about your allocation process and how it is that people tap into your foundations to uh, to get money to help make the community a better place? Beth, let's start with you.
4: We have a a competitive grants program that basically in in Vigo County takes place twice a year. In Clay and Sullivan County takes once a year, where nonprofit groups submit a one-page letter of intent describing what they want to accomplish we turn that around within about three weeks to say, yes, we want to see more about what this proposal would be or no, we do not want to. Um, and then they would f- submit a full proposal for review by our volunteer committee uh, who reviews each of the, the uh, proposals that have been passed on for the full proposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they then allocate funding. Uh, that process is going on right now um, in, in Vigo County uh, where they are making the decisions about what to fund and... and or actually, I guess we will be receiving full and letter full proposals on January 15th. Um, our next grant cycle, if anyone is listening and wants to submit, will be uh, May 1st. So that would be in Vigo, Clay, and Sullivan. Then also we have specialized funds that have their own grant cycle. We have a youth grant committee, um, a youth grant fund that basically uh, area youth who are wanting to do some sort of service learning project can write for grants. They have about two to three different grant deadlines each year and you can get those on our website, which is www.wvcf.com. We also end up having a day nursery fund, which provides funding for early childhood education and daycare assistance. Um, And those uh, grants were due, I believe it was September 1st, and that is a once a year cycle. Uh, also, we have our scholarship application, which is a unified application, which all are made available at one time. Mm-hmm.
3: Now, you mentioned that you're the folks who make the decisions about how the funds are allocated are volunteers. How do you come up with those volunteers? Uh,
4: we do it some, uh, somewhat by people who call in and say they would like to serve on the allocations committee. Many of our board members serve upon that committee – Or we may be identifying people who we think would become good future board members Mm -hmm. um, that they would end up serving on those committees to learn about us. Our board members are limited to no more than uh, six years on our board of directors. So we have a a significant turnover each and every year of board members. So we're always looking for new people to be involved in the community foundation. Mm -hmm.
0: Sherry Woodbury from uh, Monroe County and Bloomington, Um, the – The allocation process here, there's some similarities. Um, Sure. Could you talk about the uh, kinds of um, applications that you get and what what range of things might you fund?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, We have a responsive or we might call a competitive grant cycle as well, uh, typically annually. And uh, our goal in the past has been to try to touch a variety of needs in the community. So we've deliberately spread grants across uh, arts and culture, recreation, education, uh, human services, and health is usually often the the category in which we receive um, the most proposals. Um, And the kinds of projects that we funded have varied widely. Some of them have been, you know, uh, specific uh, projects. Some have been uh, capital needs like the uh, new gym floor at the Salvation Army a year or two ago, for example – um, some of them have been capacity-building uh, programs, like we gave a grant to Stepping Stones um, this fall. It was to help uh, build the capacity of that organization. Um, and some have been for expansion of effective services. A um, good example of that would be a Community Kitchen's Backpack Buddies program, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty innovative. They work with social workers in the schools to identify students who probably aren't getting good nutrition at home because their families can't afford it and make sure that they take some of that nutritious food home with them in backpacks. And uh, that's been very successful and they've uh, received several grants to expand it into more schools in the community. So it is quite a wide variety of of grants in terms of both um, the type of funding as well as the area of need in the community that's being served.
0: Before we uh, leave this topic – uh, stepping Stones, you mm-hmm. mentioned it and it's, it's a fairly new agency in yes. in Bloomington and um, I think a lot of people probably don't know what that is. Could you describe it? Sure,
2: sure. Um, stepping Stones, it's interesting. I think they're only three or four years old and they provide um, – Homeless uh, – shelter and transitional services for youth who are homeless in our community, which I think a lot of people when they hear that think, well, it's kind of surprising that they're homeless youth. I mean where where are these homeless youth coming from? A lot of times they're kids who are, are couch surfing, what they call or they may stay with uh, friends or family and just kind of rotate around where they're getting a, a shelter over their head. Um, and Stepping Stones gives them not only a place to stay but also um, help kind of planning their future, um, seeing how they're going to get through school, develop job skills, um, you know, make a living and really um, – have also, I think, the nurturance that they need if they haven't been getting it from their family for whatever reason. Mm
0: -hmm. Sherry Stark, um, the uh, Heritage Fund in Bartholomew County, how long has it been um, in existence? And talk a little bit about the allocation process and the kinds of grants that you you provide. Right.
1: Well, Heritage Fund, which serves Columbus and the the area in (coughs) Bartholomew County, is one of the older community foundations. We are over 30 years old. Uh, We give out over $2 million in grants each year. And uh, four times a year, eligible not-for-profits can apply for grants for a variety of needs. We typically do not fund operating costs. It's more startup projects or one-time things or catalytic needs. But in addition, we have identified areas of initiative, and that's where we are uh, proactively seeking to be involved and help make things happen. And the four areas we presently have, uh, one is called welcoming communities, which is to create an, a welcoming environment for all sorts of peoples in our county. Second is uh, downtown development. Another is learning systems and economic development. So we really put our staff power, board power, and resources behind those areas. Let's
0: talk about downtown development because Columbus is in a a renaissance downtown. Of course, you had some um, problems with the flooding, but way before the flooding, you were talking – there there was a lot of uh, movement in downtown. How has the the foundation or the fund been involved in that?
1: Uh, We are quite a bit involved. Through the years, as I think with virtually every town, the question is, how do we make it more vibrant, more vital, our downtown? And we view a vibrant downtown as key and critical to successful economic development efforts. Uh, Mayor Armstrong and Will Miller, one of our board members, uh, led Vision 2020, which looked at what to do downtown. And out of that came a, a very ambitious master plan, which includes hotels, indoor sports complex, parking garages. And uh, rebuilding our civic mall, which is called the Commons, mm-hmm. for anybody who's been in Columbus and seen the big brown glass building. Mm-hmm. It's now down and about to go back up. Uh, Heritage Fund is awarding $3 million towards that project. And we are leading the fundraising for the community capital campaign for the project. And we are raising $3 million from the community to also support the new building.
3: Will there be matching funds available for
1: that? Uh, the matching funds come from us okay. and also Cummins Foundation and Irwin Sweeney Miller Foundation so that the public's dollars uh, get leveraged. Mm-hmm. Well, let's,
3: maybe we should talk about the concept of matching funds a little bit so everybody understands how that works. Um, Sherry Stark, would you be willing to kick that
1: Sure. Off? We have found this highly successful. We had a small community that wanted sidewalks, and we said we will give you X dollars if you can raise the same amount. And they said, well, there's no way we can do that. And we said, well, you know, here is our money and we will match every dollar you raise with one of our dollars. It turned out they raised two or three times what they thought they needed and were very pleased with it. So it's a good example of if we dangle the carrot of a dollar bill <laughs> and say, you give a dollar, we'll match it, money does come in.
0: That's great. The uh, the Lilly Endowment has been well-known for doing that kind of thing and – uh, um, I'd like for each of you to talk a little bit about the the role of the Lilly Endowment in encouraging foundations in, in the state. Beth,
4: the Lilly Endowment's gift initiative was really the what formed us. Um, we were formed as a result of Community Chest of Terre Haute, which was also the um, founding entity for the United Way of the Wabash Valley. Uh, and and they ended up getting us started. They started attending all of the meetings that Lilly Endowment was was hosting, seeing how could we bring the money in. And really, it was Lilly Endowment who encouraged us to be more of a regional community foundation as only a instead of only a Vigo County community foundation. And so they helped shape the the. Uh, the form that we are currently taking, which has been very effective for, for us in the counties who have partnered with us, um, the matching opportunity has been absolutely phenomenal. And it was really interesting because when, when I took the position <clears throat> and I was a first executive director with the Community Foundation, um, we had a challenge of raising $2 million – to, to receive $1 million from them. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I had identified in my own mind who I thought would be giving that money to us to get us started. Um, and while those individuals I had identified in my mind have, have been very generous with us, they were not the individuals who put us over the top or who made the significantly large gifts. Um, it has been people who are, who are very common, people who uh, they're the millionaire next door, mm-hmm. who you would not expect... Uh, that would have that kind of resources but who saw the opportunity to be able to leverage their money to to bring in to the community for betterment. One of our first donors made a million-dollar contribution to us when we were newly formed. And I can't imagine the kind of belief um, and kind of trust that that individual, that family had, Delmar and Betty Jones, in order to give a million dollars to this fledgling organization.
3: Mm You know, and, And that brings up an interesting topic. You do have significant resources um, invested. How do you um, tell people or how do you explain to people the security of that, that, you know, if they have a concern that, wow, how long is this going to be around? What happens to my money if this organization folds?
4: Well, in each of our fund agreements that we have, if, if the organization folds, we are, we are bound to follow the purpose of what the donor has set it up. And that's one of the things I think is so important about community foundations, while we are here to benefit our community, we are truly donor-focused in helping the donors accomplish what it is they want to accomplish uh, for, for their community because it's their philanthropy that we are really the stewards of mm-hmm. um, to do what they want to do. Uh, you know, As I tell people, if something would happen to us, it would be probably we would end up joining them with the larger foundation who we would have better economies of scale because of that aspect, and because, uh, as Sherry explained earlier, we only distribute a portion of the earnings. The principal is preserved. Now, obviously, it's it's subject to market fluctuations, mm-hmm. uh, just like everyone else's, uh, just like everyone else's saving account that is uh, invested in the in the stock market is. But it's but it's there for the long run, and it's nice to be able to see after being there for going on seventeen years now how a fund that started with a very small amount, has grown over that period of time.
3: Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room then. How has the recession affected your ability to allocate funds? Sherry Woodbury, you want to start?
2: It's difficult. fortunately we weren't affected this fall because our uh, policy for calculating distributions is based on our fiscal year, which is June 30th. So the worst hadn't hit yet when we calculated. And we actually distributed – had about $730,000 to distribute this year, which is the most that we have, have had to date. Next year will probably be a different story because we have seen a significant um, hit to our portfolio. Um, now, of course, our portfolio, and I'm sure this is true of my colleagues as well, is, is carefully diversified. You know, we have a mix of um, different kinds of equities. You know, large cap, small cap, value, growth, international, as well as uh, bonds and other kinds of alternative investments in there. Um, but nonetheless, you know, no one is really immune in the conditions that we're in uh, recently. So, I expect probably next year we won 't be able to grant as much. Um, many of our agencies and our donors have opted into a, a provision in our distribution policy where they can have a portion of the ordinary income only granted out in cases where the fund is underwater because of the market, so that provision is likely to kind of kick in for a lot of them next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you explain that a little bit more?
2: yeah, so if a fund if there's less um, the fund doesn 't have a cushion above the what you might think of as the corpus or the principal mm-hmm. because of the market um, has has gone down. Um, we are still – we still get earnings um, in terms of interest and dividends, uh, for example, on bonds in the portfolio that are attributable to each fund that we hold. And so we can grant out – it's not as high a portion. Mm -hmm. Typically, we can grant out up to 5 percent if it's based on total return. But for the ordinary income only, we can grant out up to um, 3.5 percent if there's that income available. So that's a way of – you're spending some of the money that you did in fact earn for the fund in that period of time. Um, without spending into the principal. Mm-hmm.
3: So now traditionally, are, are part of the proceeds reinvested and part distributed?
2: Yeah, typically, I mean, it, it's uh, – it's not the same every year because, of course, all the conditions sure. are constantly in motion. But that is the idea when you set up your funding formula is that you want to maintain the buying power of the fund for the long run. So you want to keep up with inflation um, as well as have you know, a reasonable amount to get back out into the community because that's why we're all here.
1: Mm-hmm. A rule of thumb would be typically a community foundation would award 4 percent or perhaps 5 percent of what is in the fund. That's kind of a formula that we use. Mm-hmm.
3: So you distribute roughly two million dollars a year. You mm-hmm. said you were about seven hundred fifty thousand. About seven thirty. Seven thirty.
4: Last year we distributed about one point one million, and this next year we'll distribute somewhere around seven, about eight hundred
0: thousand dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money going and into it the a It's a lot. Of, in, but I, and
4: I'm not sure, but I
1: would guess you may do the same thing that the Heritage Fund does. We have what is called a smoothing formula. Mm-hmm. So we don't – yes, we all three do this. Mm-hmm. You don't calculate based on just a snapshot of one day in time, mm-hmm. but you look at 12 quarters. So it means that on a really high year, you won't give out quite so much. But on a really low year, you won't give out quite so little.
0: Mm-hmm. It averages. Well, I know uh, Beth was talking about how this is a donor – sort of a donor – Directed um, organization in in a lot of ways, and and I'm familiar with with. Sherry Woodbury's uh, operation, and I know that you have several different funds that people have set mm-hmm. up, and I'm sure that's the same for for all of you. So let's go to the Sherry's and talk about <laughs> uh, Sherry Woodbury first about some of the, the specific donor funds that you've set up that have been uh, you know, sort of unusual and interesting. Sure,
2: sure. I mean, really, we do exist to you know, help caring people make a lasting difference for the causes that are important to them. And so one of the best ways to explain that is just to illustrate with some stories. So I appreciate that question. Um, one that we just uh, approved most recently at our last board meeting, um, this just in, um, is the Mary Kaufman Tilton Fund for Classical Music. Um, Mary, listeners, some listeners may know, um, was a longtime um, employee within Indiana University. She helped bring in uh, speakers from around the world um, to share their, their views with us here locally. And she was also quite a classical music buff. Um, she took uh, – I believe she took um, a harpsichord and, and – taught lessons in classical music um, to students in her later years. It was a later life interest of hers. Was very involved in Bloomington Early Music Festival and kind of other organizations. And uh, she chose to set this up through a trust um, with the Community Foundation because we'd be able to grant to different organizations who might be involved in both um, classical music performances, but also education of students to enjoy classical music. So that's one recent example. Um, Another fairly recent one is the Sunrise Rotary Club has opened up an endowment. Um, It'll be a donor-advised fund. Uh, Which we haven't talked about that yet, but that's a type of fund where the the donor, whether it's a a family or a business or a club, as in this case, kind of recommend to the foundation how to use the proceeds each year that are available for granting. And so it's a, a great way to have a kind of ongoing engagement in their philanthropy. And they did it using a new program we have called Acorn Giving. Um, which is where a donor can give – it's kind of like an installment plan for creating your own endowment. You can give $1,000 a year for for 10 years or a set period of time to create a permanent fund, and then you have something that your family or or your group is able to be involved in forever, and it just makes it a little bit more within reach um, perhaps for those who are interested in in being philanthropists.
3: You mentioned um, the Ralstons earlier in your comments, Mm -hmm. and um, Ilkner was my predecessor at Leadership Bloomington-Monroe County, and her – Widower and son have endowed, uh, made a special fund with the Community Foundation to carry on her work at Leadership Bloomington, Monroe County. So yes. that's another just such a great family legacy um, to continue. And uh, mm-hmm. I want to thank you, having been through the process with you and mm-hmm. Pete Rhoda, with whom you work. Um, they make it very easy and they have the answers to all the questions that you have. So I want to thank you personally for that thank and sure. encourage other people, you know, if you have special interests that you Wish to support um, the foundation does an awfully nice job of making it possible to do that in perpetuity. So thank, thank you, thank you, Mary Catherine, <laughs> and we'll be very, you, very, very <laughs> excited
2: to see some of your your students receiving a scholarship. Yeah, the that will through be that. funding scholarships. So that's great,
0: Sherry. Sherry Stark, the uh, uh, the Heritage Sher- Fund. I'm sure has a lot of different funds.
1: Uh, we have over 380 funds, and a number of them do have special special purposes. Uh, one of my favorites is called Friends of the Children. And it is a fund where we give uh, money to one of the people in the school system to make available for, uh, for example, for braces for a student or for a suit for a student to wear to a funeral or for a corsage for the prom. Just the incidental little things that uh, at-risk youth might need. And it's all very discretionary. Uh, We have another strings program where we um, uh, fund violin and other strings uh, lessons for young children. One family set up the Reams Award for Excellence in Teaching in Private Schools and we just have passed out three different $4,000 awards to private school teachers. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Hanley Award goes to elementary public school teachers to recognize three outstanding teachers. Uh, We have a fund that supports family self-sufficiency, which is a program that helps uh, people working to get off of welfare and we provide support for that. And the northeast part of our county has created a fund, and every year, a group from that section of the community, a community which is the Hope area, mm-hmm. uh, awards grants just for their geographic part of the county, and uh, they feel very good about doing that.
0: How's interested in your welcoming communities strategy? What, what Can you talk a little bit more about I'd that? I'd be
1: happy to do that. Uh, you know, Columbus is about 35,000. The county has about 75,000. And... I can't remember the number, but there are, I think, over 40 different languages spoken in our school system. uh, You wouldn't maybe be surprised in Monroe County with your university or perhaps even in Terre Haute, but in Columbus, which is a rural and and manufacturing, it's surprising the diversity. And we did a study, uh, undertook a study to determine were we a welcoming community about four or five years ago now. And to our chagrin, um, people who had lived there all their lives said, of course we are. The new people said, well, we're not so sure. (laughs) And so we really have put our efforts into collaborating with others in the community to become more welcoming. And the most recent uh, activity of that is to form an organization. We love acronyms. The acronym is CAMEO, Columbus Area Multi-Ethnic Organization. And it will have representatives from um, the Middle East, Japan, Korea, China, China, Uh, Trinidadians, uh, African-American, many different ones to build a coalition of the different groups represented in our community. So there's a stronger voice and stronger presence. And we're very excited about this. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, We're going to take a break in a minute, but first I want to go to Beth because I want to give you the opportunity to talk about some of the dedicated funds that you have in in your foundation as well.
4: Well, some of the funds that we end up having for our rural communities are those that invest in their infrastructure. We have several funds for volunteer fire departments because that's incredibly important to to some of the small communities in the rural area. Uh, we have we have one of the interesting funds that we end up having is art spaces. And there was a group that came together uh, s- uh, about six years ago who decided that their the importance was to try to em- enrich uh, outdoor art. Uh, public art in Terre Haute and so they have a commitment to uh, uh, to erect 50 sculptures throughout uh, Terre Haute and Vigo County and they're working working well on that project and they have two funds with us. One is a preservation fund that will help maintain those sculptures uh, once they are erected and the other one is a project fund so that people can make contributions to erecting a, a sculpture um, Uh, that would be put in place right now. We did one very recently. Uh, The Community Foundation funded it. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. You're listening to Noon Edition. This is a special pre-recorded version of Noon Edition. We're talking about community foundations with Heritage Fund President Sherry Stark, Wabash Valley Community Foundation Executive Director Beth Tevlin, and Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County President Sherry Woodbury. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition.
5: www.southdunnstreet.info If you're a person on the go, you can take WFIU programs with you. We're podcasting. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer. Listen anytime from your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential. The Ether Game musical mini quiz and movie, play, and opera reviews. You can find out how with a visit to our website at WFIU.org.
0: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have three guests with us in the studio for this pre-recorded program. Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County President Sherry Woodbury is here. Sherry Stark, who's the president of the Heritage Fund in Columbus and Bartholomew County, is here, and Wabash Valley Community Foundation Executive Director Beth Tevlin and uh, her foundation represents Clay Sullivan and Vigo County. If uh, you want to join us on this program, well, I'm sorry you you can't. You can <laughs> you can go to the you can go to the website wfiu.org/newedition and you could uh, send in any comments that you want. Uh, but we are recording this early for play here on the second day of January 2009. So I'm sorry you won't be able to, to call in. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to right. everybody. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it you. seems a
3: little bit strange to say because it's not yet here, but yeah. that's all right. By the time you hear it, it will be. It
0: will be. That's right. So l- let's talk about um, some of the uh, the challenges that, that you are facing and how the, the foundations, the various foundations do help people in your community. You know, meet basic needs. I know that that's not necessarily your chief role, but how does that play out? Sherry Woodbury, you want to?
2: Sure. Well, as you know, Bob, this has been in my mind since we did the food stamp challenge (laughs) 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 a few weeks ago. And there's a couple of kind of ongoing things that we're doing, and there's one kind of new thing that we're doing. Ongoing includes the responsive grant programs, uh, which obviously give agencies a chance to tell us what they're seeing on the ground and what needs they have to help meet those basic needs. And that's funded everything from the startup of Grace Center in the Harrodsburg area um, to a feasibility study and equipment for the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, which, as you know, is meeting an ever-increasing demand for food. Um, Agency endowments have also been a focus for our uh, community foundation. Those are funds that are designated as to support a specific agency over the long haul, and we feel that strengthens the kind of safety net for our community for those agencies to have a greater financial stability to meet the needs of Mm -hmm. of today and tomorrow. The new thing that's going on is our board just approved um, establishing a basic needs fund, which is a new uh, field of interest endowment. And it's, it's uh, designated to support uh, food, shelter, and medical care. So whatever agencies are providing those services in a given year, uh, the community foundation can help them, help our neighbors that are in need. And um, this was in some sense inspired by the food stamp challenge. I mean we've been seeing in our grant committee for some time that we were getting more and more requests for operating support, even though uh, like Sherry Stark, we don't typically provide operating grants through our uh, open grant cycle. Um, but it was because the, you know they were seeing funding cuts at the same time mm-hmm. that needs were going up. Um, And we also noticed during the food stamp challenge that the agency sponsoring that um, effort – None of them had a fund with us. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are a few basic needs agencies that do that we're very happy to be working with, but a lot of those agencies they're maybe um, not as stable. You know, they're so focused on meeting what's there today that it's harder to plan ahead and think about how they create a stronger long term future um, for their mission. And so this is a fund that will be able to address um, the needs of many of those agencies um, in time if there are donors out there who would like to, to help us grow it.
3: So so let's just talk about that just for a second so people mm-hmm. really understand. So you can uh, basically it's putting money. In the bank, we're going to call the foundation a bank. Mm-hmm. Putting it in the bank, um, then the, that will earn interest. And then that interest can be used to offset
2: operating costs yeah, because it could, it's not part of a special grant. Right. It could be operating costs or it could be, you know, um, something like with the, when the food bank expanded, it could be capital, it mm-hmm. could be a variety of, of things depending on what size the fund grows to and what we see the needs are in the community in mm-hmm. a given year. So agencies from, you know, whether it's Shalom Center, Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, um, Grace Center, um, even uh, you know volunteers in medicine. If they have new things going on that are providing those basic needs um, in terms of food, shelter, and medical care, would be yeah, I think
3: oftentimes we see organizations that are doing such good work, and as you said, they're putting all their effort into doing the good work, but mm-hmm. then they still have electric bills and just gas, you know, all the same bills that any of us have. Right. right. And so this is an opportunity then to help them. Deal with their basics if they so choose to, if you choose to set it up that way. And then they can focus on what is the true mission of their organization as opposed to having to dilute their efforts doing fundraising constantly and throwing events and, you know, all that sort of mailings
2: and all that stuff. And partly this is coming from the donor's perspective, too, and from professional advisors that we've spoken to, you know, that when people are thinking about major estate gifts, I mean, a lot of people in our community have a big heart for basic needs. They want to make sure Mm -hmm. that no one in our community goes without, um, but they don't always have the confidence that a specific organization will be there for the long Mm -hmm. haul. And we have an example of this, actually. We have a fund for Shelter, Inc. that was started a number of years ago, which, as you know, um, has gone out of business and our board um, has what they call variance power and has been able to redirect um, the grant monies from that fund to other agencies that are doing that work in the community. And this fund would work kind of the same way. Whoever is doing that work in the future, we can work with them. Makes I w- sense. wanted
0: to, to go back to the food stamp challenge that Sherry referenced just to say if uh, those of you out there who don't know what that was, Sherry and I participated with ser- several other people in the community in which we, we actually survived on $21 dollars for food and beverages for a week, just to get a, a sense. I mean obviously it wasn't anything like not having you know having not having any kind of you know support or money, but it was still an eye opener to to try to live on twenty one dollars a week. So um Sherry, Beth, anything to add to what the other Sherry said?
4: Well what we're doing in in Vigo County, Clay and Sullivan also, is we find that the nonprofits that, that are meeting the basic needs, oftentimes they also are spending all of their resources to meet those basic needs, but they can't ha- – they don't have the resources available to invest in their staff. Mm-hmm. So we try to also sponsor a nonprofit training program that provides them the opportunity for enrichment, um, uh, some collegiality where they can become trained in issues related to either fundraising, marketing – Um, human uh, resource administration, any of those types of Mm -hmm. business issues that they will face. But oftentimes, uh, the people that they hire don't have those kind of qualifications. um, And and so we are helping them to try to meet those needs. Mm
1: -hmm. And yes, and uh, Heritage Fund also provides training. We think we don't have enough money to help every agency do everything, but if we can help Agencies learn how to raise money and how to manage their money and how to be effective boards. That's all good. Mm -hmm. We also each year give uh, small grants called technical assistance grants of up to $2,500. It's a very simple process, easy to ask for, to give them just a a one shot of of infusion. We also ask our agencies to give us a wish list of smaller items that would really make a difference for them. And we send that to all of our donors and uh, many things get picked up. For example – Uh, One of our donors then paid to buy bathing suits for some of the children who wanted to have the free swim lessons but couldn't afford bathing suits. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was a good thing.
0: It sounds like your foundations all work with the other agencies in the community. Is there a a formal network, a formal way that you do that or is it just sort of an informal These agencies know that you're there and you know they're there and you try to to sort of match needs and get together. Beth?
4: It's both. And I always – at every one of our grant awards, um, I always tell our uh, grant recipients, those agencies who have received funding from us, to thank them for their work because we're unable to fulfill our donors' charitable goals without them. Mm -hmm. We don't do – you know, we typically don't have programs, you know, we don't feed the poor, we don't clothe those who need clothes, we don't house people, you know, we don't provide emergency response, but we fund those people who do. So I think it's critically important that we're that we're trying that we're seeing as partners with those agencies in helping them fulfill their missions. Mm-hmm.
3: That last comment. Um made me think of something. Do you give any kind of weighted preference to um, local initiatives as opposed to something national or international like the Red Cross? Uh, Yes and no. Uh, It's one of those –
4: with the Red Cross, they're such a vibrant agency within our community – um, and such a strong agency. And we've had so many fires in addition to the flooding and everything else. They provide direct need here. Um, and we ended up providing them with a $50,000 grant in response to the floods that we had in Vigo County uh, this year. In fact, we made that on the day of the flood because we knew that the re- we could see very clearly that the response that the need was there. Um, so we look at them as a local... Uh, agency because they are providing that kind mm-hmm. of local service. Mm-hmm.
3: That's amazing turnaround time for a process that's usually thought to be rather cumbersome. How do you? How were you able to respond so quickly to that need?
4: It's – the great thing about the Community Foundation is we have a lot of flexibility and it was that morning I'm I'm standing there in my kitchen and going, this rain has got to stop and it's really wet out there and I'm watching the local news and I'm hearing them say, you know, we can't get out and there's this flooding going on and I call my president and, I, and we talk and he said, check with the American Red Cross, check with some other folks, see what's going on. I did that. Um, I ended up checking with uh, – our vice president, our chair of our grants committee, um, our program director, and we ran it through a very quick and fast. But but it's one of those things the, – the great aspect is when those donors um, who give us unrestricted gifts, we're able to have that ability to respond that quickly and provide that kind of support. And I know Carol Stevens, who's the executive director of the of – the, uh, American Red Cross for the Wabash mm-hmm. Valley said that we made the uh, largest single gift to the American Red Cross uh, in the Wabash mm-hmm. Valley that's ever been made. And she, has been, she does a very good job and all the American Red Cross volunteers in our community have done an outstanding job serving not only that disaster but also the continuing disasters that they mm-hmm. tend to see.
3: Brilliant.
0: Sherry Stark. when uh, Harry McCauley was with us just mm-hmm. recently, he talked about the, the flooding issues in Columbus and how the community mm-hmm. really came together and it, it mitigated some of the issues that that the community faced even though it was still a really daunting uh, situation over there. How did the the uh, Heritage Fund uh, get involved in, in that?
1: Uh, well, that's a very good question and I uh, salute Beth for being so quick to get a <laughs> check out. I think that's terrific. Uh, the – First day back in the office, which was the Monday following the Saturday flood, I um, did several things that I think were key to how we responded. One was I called a community in Ohio that had had severe flooding the previous August and asked, what lessons did you learn? How did you handle it? And took that advice as a step forward. I next contacted all the other area foundations and talked about the need for us to coordinate our response so that we... um, would be getting the most bang for our buck. I then uh, contacted my executive committee and got permission and established a community disaster um, relief fund and publicized that and Uh, so that people who wanted to help knew where to send some money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to raise uh, a little over $200,000, and it's interesting that the money is still coming in.
3: Now you can do pass-through then.
1: Yes, this is all pass-through, and we waived any administrative fee so that every dollar in goes right back out whenever we identify needs. And we had established that we were going to use that money to help the agencies that we're doing the most work and also to support case management and that we would do our response long-term because what we learned from the Ohio community was there are churches and all sorts of groups that do wonderful work quickly and it's later that they need the money and resources. So that's how we positioned.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad that that sort of directed us in this way because I think we we do usually think of the community. Those of us who understand the community foundation process think that it is sort of a granting agency. It's a it's this big savings account, and you're going to be there to help when when people come to you and ask for things. But in both of these cases, you were very proactive, and I'm sure that at the, uh, the Sherry's Foundation.
2: Would. We're glad we didn't have to do that here. Right, right, right. <laughs>
0: but I've, right.
3: I've learned something today. I didn't know you, you could do – you had the flexibility to do pass-throughs. So that's, that's right. very interesting.
2: That's right.
0: We learn something every week. We do. We do.
3: <laughs>
0: we like that, yes. Um, let's talk a little bit since it is January 2nd uh, when we're the show is being aired and, and it is a time when people have just been through a lot of uh, fundraising periods. Let's Let's talk about what – people in your opinion what should people be doing now to try to help the community you know year round and, and I know you know we're not going to just sit here and ask people for money they've been hearing that enough but uh, if, if you talk about the the 12 month need and and how the foundations all sort of um, fill the the gap that happens in the community not just in December but all year round um, I guess that's the direction I'd like to go Beth do you want to do you, do you sort of follow what I'm talking about? I
4: was really hoping I was not going to be the <laughs> first one. <Yeah, yeah>, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's because it was such a bad question. But, but, but the issue is just about the, the need all year round and not just uh, you know, around the holidays that, that we've just gone through and how the foundation sort of help to um, make sure that there, that there are funds and there are resources available year round.
4: You know, We obviously do have the granting cycles that take place and, and different funding payouts – uh, that are from our designated funds that are for specific agencies. And obviously, people can contribute to any of those. But oftentimes, what's needed in our community is, is not only building of endowment funds, and I don't want to discourage any of those endowment funds because those do provide that kind of assistance, but also for people to take a look at what their normal charitable giving is. For example, if you've just come out of um, your year-end giving, you may want to sit down and as you're preparing all your information for your accountant or whether you're just looking back on your checkbook to see where you've made your gifts and you may want to take a look at and, and say, OK, I know that I made a $100 gift to um, Leadership Monroe County, Monroe, County. Thank you. Monroe County or Leadership Wabash Valley or possibly – Bartholomew
3: County. Really? <laughs>
4: and so they're counting on my support each and every year. How can I maintain that support and say, you know, it's going to take approximately 20 times what my annual gift is to continue that and perpetuate it through an endowment fund? So maybe I would like to plan on how this next year I could give $2,000 to the new leadership Monroe um, – Bloomington-Monroe County fund so that it would help support – leadership program or it's to maybe to the United Way. But look back and think about how you can make those gifts permanent. You know, the greatest tragedy um, is when a nonprofit organization has a longtime supporter who is given each and every year and that supporter passes away and either has not thought about uh, giving money to the organization or has given money that has uh, – that was to replenish the annual gift each and every year, and it's quickly spent on a capital project or or something along those lines. So it's a way that people can think either in large dollar values or small dollar values about how they can perpetuate their annual giving, giving to those organizations that are most important to them uh, each and every year.
3: And you, yeah. can, you can work with your accountant or attorney or whoever at mm-hmm. any time of year to set up your um, estate mm-hmm. uh, in such a way that that some of that – some of those mm-hmm. proceeds can go a percentage, an X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. I think the options on that are so flexible Absolutely. and they make it really easy to to accomplish that.
4: And those people who, who end up having large uh, retirement accounts or IRAs or something that has been tax-deferred during their lifetime, they really should be thinking about how they could turn those gifts into charitable gifts as opposed to leaving them to their children Because their children are going to get taxed on them at the highest level and they'll get probably less dollars. Now, they should always consult their own uh, estate planner, professional accountant to get those figures. But they have some opportunities that they can make huge gifts upon death that they might not even think possible. Mm -hmm.
0: That was a very nice answer to my rather inelegant question. So I (laughs) I really do appreciate that. Sherry or Sherry, do you want to – My mind was
2: going in the same direction in terms of, you know, we get so responsive during the holidays and particularly when there are all these needs to meet. And it's great uh, kind of to – Turn that around as the new year unfolds, and think about how could I be more strategic and to take a step back and take a look at even think about things like well of all the gifts i 've made, which ones have been the most meaningful to me mm-hmm. or the most rewarding to me, or when I think about my legacy and what I want to leave for my grandchildren, what are the things that are most important to me i 'm mm-hmm. really taking some time to reflect yourself and if you have a partner, you know just talk with your, your spouse about about your legacy mm-hmm. I think it 's very rewarding
1: and I would um, mention. One of the resources we provide that people may not know is we are really the experts on the agencies in a county. So people don't necessarily have to place any money with us, but they can call us and say, I really care about children or I care about literacy or I care about health issues – What are the agencies in our community and and what are they doing and what kind of needs do they have? And we've got that information so we can be a a matchmaker to help donors find the agencies they may want to
0: support. How do people give? I mean, people can write you a check, I'm sure. But how are other means that you actually get assets for your foundations?
4: In the old days, we used to get transfers of highly appreciated (laughs) stock. (laughs) But, uh, uh, that's also a way uh, there's real estate gifts people can give a personal property we had an estate once uh, and those estates are always interesting because they always give you unique gifts and we ended up getting a, a Colt 45 um, as a, as a uh, gift to the community foundation once we received a post office uh, that was a unique <laughs> gift that we ended up receiving um, and they all come from Sullivan County, the most unique <laughs> gifts that I, the, the our community foundation has ever received. Uh, but right now – and I think it is – correct me if I'm wrong, ladies. Through 2000, December 2009, people can, uh, who are 70 and a half or above can make transfers from their IRAs that are not taxed to them to charitable entities. I know I just had a woman last week calling me advising that she had made a gift to uh, two funds that she has created in our foundation.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other –
4: Well, I would just say
1: that um, before people know that they can give us their gun or (laughs) their horse or whatever, they need to understand that I believe all community foundations have a policy that if it isn't stock or money, that we have to approve acceptance of the gift. So we don't have to accept anything. Uh, We got a lovely tea service, uh, which we ended up placing in Brown County. And that was kind of a fun gift. Mm
2: Of course, when you think about plan guests too, I mean wills are your most common vehicle for a bequest, um, different kinds of trusts that people can use that may also help accomplish other goals um, mm-hmm. such as care of a dependent um, or preserving assets for heirs. Um, insurance is uh, a gift plan that I think a lot of people don't know about. It's a, a way you can kind of leverage your money as well um, with the new policy or you can donate an existing policy if um, those who were intended to benefit from mm-hmm. it really are no longer in a position to need that um, support. Mm-hmm. Said you said – you, can, um, can you make
3: a community foundation, your beneficiary on an insurance policy? Oh, sure. Policy?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can name – you can tell us what specific fund or organization or charitable cause that you would like to benefit from that. Um, and of course, retirement plans, which Beth kind of already alluded to, are a one wonderful asset to consider using um, for giving.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have about three minutes to go, three or four minutes to go in the program. So I want to give each of you sort of uh, a chance to look into the crystal ball for you know, 2009. What do you think are going to be uh, – you, know, you know, what's sort of the, the lay of the land for your foundation and what are the biggest needs? What direction are you going to be going and what are the biggest needs that you're going to have? Beth, let's start with you. Uh,
4: for our foundation uh, – Trying to provide the basic needs to the individuals uh, in the community or to those organizations serving the individuals in our community are going to be a big hit. I think that that 's probably what you 're going to hear from from most people We're still actively involved in the flood recovery. Um, in a five-county area uh, along with our United Way of the Wabash Valley. And so we're involved in the leadership role of that. But because we we think there will be a lot of smaller gifts coming in now um, and some of the very large gifts, but I also think this is a time that we can focus on making the community foundation better. Mm -hmm.
5: Sure.
2: Well, I see several directions for us this year. Uh, Matchstick 4 um, is uh, Matchstick is going forward with another phase, which is our um, challenge program that's kind of modeled on what Lilly Endowment did with the community foundations, the matching that they offered in the past, which they're no longer doing, um, which is uh, for every $3 local donors give to the fund of a participating agency, we put another dollar in from the community foundation. And we have several agencies that are coming back um, to do it again this year, Amethyst House, WFHB, Boys and Girls Club, Community Kitchen, Lotus, and Monroe County United Ministries, and two new agencies participating this year, a Windfall Dancers and the RBB School Foundation. So we're excited about that. Um, our middle schoolers initiative, um, which was developed over the last couple of years, is kicking off in January. There'll be programs in all four middle schools in the county after school um, that any student is able to sign up for, and there is scholarship money available. Um, And if any listeners are interested in that, if you have middle schoolers at home, Alondra Harris-Hazan is the program coordinator for that. Um, The Birth of Five initiative, we're looking at early learning, um, which is a focus our board has chosen for this year. And we're partnering with United Way and and CAPE to take a look at that. We've um, done some research in the community and are excited to continue and develop something that will make a difference for parents of young children and finally continue to support Planned Gifts.
0: Okay, And Sherry, we have about 30 seconds.
2: Uh, Heritage Fund, I would say
1: two things. Met recently with the other local funders and we plan to convene in February and talk about how we can collaborate on responding to the economic downturn in our community. And we also collaborate with Community Education Coalition in our community. We were fortunate to receive a $38 million grant from Lilly Endowment. We're working with the 10-county region on job training for advanced manufacturing.
0: All right. Thank you, Sherry Stark, Sherry Woodbury, um, and Beth Tevlin. Thank you very much for being here with us today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ariana Prothero, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Happy New Year.